Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Instagram at Braden D. Gall, or really follow the company at 440 Media on Instagram. Just changing it up on you, Steve. I don't know what to do here. I, I, I don't know. Whatever. My name's Steve Cavendish. I'm on the internet. <laughs> was it was it was it that much of a curveball? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, you do think you do things one way for like more than a year, and then all of a sudden, bam! <laughs> on the show today, Joseph Goodman, who is the lead columnist for AL.com and uh, multiple newspapers across the state of Alabama, sort of branching out a little bit today. Steve on the show, he's got a book coming out about the 2020 Alabama national championship team that is not all about football. It's about a lot more than football. It's about the state of Alabama. We have a lot of Alabama fans who may or may not have been Tennessee fans in the nineties or whatever here in Nashville, but it's <laughs> fine. Uh, but we got, but we wanted to branch out. I also think he's just a fascinating guy and the book's coming out. So I uh, had a really fun conversation with him coming up in just a few minutes. We will have sort of a mid season look at ratings for both the Titans and for college football after the interview with, with Joseph about just sort of we're at the midway point. Let's take a look at what has been, successful and popular in the market in particular with the sec uh of course as well so before we do any of that however steve cavendish lamestream sports is brought to you by is it still brought to you by jaspers it is in fact still brought to you by jaspers okay you threw me at the beginning of the uh, show here so i didn't know if we were doing something else different here thank god it's sponsored by jaspers follow them on twitter at jaspers nash parking is free the burgers are great the food is still wonderful and they are still sponsoring the show that, that is still happening. All very good things. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, so jo- Joseph Goodman, I, listen, Steve, I, I wanted to have him on. Again, I, I've read his work for a while. There's this weird thing happening with Brian Harson right now, and he not, he's not allowed to ask questions of Brian Harson, even though he's like a prominent reporter on the beat covering the team. Um, and he's got this great book coming out. He is just a really, really interesting guy with fascinating life experiences and uh, I, I thought we'd, we'd go a little different today on the show and branch out a little bit. But uh, I, I assume that if you're a college football fan, you're really going to enjoy um, the storytelling he's, he's got for you coming up here in a few minutes. So without even letting you talk, Steve, uh, we'll have lots of conversation about ratings after the interview. Uh, but without even letting you talk here, l- let's just get right to it. This is Joseph Goodman, our conversation with the writer from AL.com. Joe, good to see you, man. Welcome to the show. A lot of stuff to talk about today. We'll talk about the book, of course. We want BamaBook.com is the website that will be out November 9th. And we'll get into a lot about the writing about all of that and your your goals behind all of that. We'll talk a little Brian Harson and uh, obviously what's going on with, with the Auburn head football coach. So welcome to the show. How are you, sir? How you doing? Yeah, great, man. Uh, doing great. I uh, love your hat. Strong, very strong. <laughs> ugly Mets Christmas sweater <laughs> it is it is an ugly Mets Christmas sweater and ugly and Mets is uh redundant in the same sentence but yes um, <laughs> I, I thought it appropriate considering my arch rival is now playing in the World Series so all right give everybody first a quick background because this is a, a show based in Tennessee and you are based in Alabama you work for ale.com give everybody a sense of sort of your background where you came from how you got into writing and sports writing and covering the SEC. Just give everybody a quick sort of background. Started writing in college at student newspaper at UAB and just really forced my way into the business by driving like 
you know, 90 country minutes into rural Alabama while I was in school to work for small daily newspapers and, uh, you know, went to worked at three separate small newspapers in Alabama before um, I graduated. And I was awarded a fellowship for the New York Times. You know, that was like kind of a big moment for me. And um, I actually had to end up turning it down because the Miami Herald offered me a full-time job uh, to cover high school football. And so that's what I wanted to do. And my kids needed insurance. So um, <laughs> you know, that's what I did. So I went down to Miami and I worked there for 10 years. I went from preps to uh, covering the Florida Gators when during their golden era with Tim Tebow and Billy Donovan and Joe Kim Noah and Urban Meyer and all that. And that was an incredible uh, time to be in Gainesville. And then when the Miami Heat uh, signed LeBron, they moved me back down to Miami to be the beat writer covering the Miami Heat during the big three era. And I did that for five years. And then AL.com recruited me to come home to be a takeout writer. And so I wanted to come be closer to family. And so did that. Um, now I'm the lead columnist for AL.com and the three newspapers in the state. So quickly, quickly rank these fan bases here. Florida high school football, SEC college football, height of LeBron era Heat uh, Heat fans. Which is which is the which and is Auburn the, fans? Well, we'll get to Auburn fans here in a minute. Which is the which was the has been the craziest to sort of deal with? And how would you uh, how would you rank the intensity level of those three? Well, Florida high school football fans are were great. I mean. The level of talent in South Florida is just far exceeds the interest down there. And that's not anything against the interest in high school football, but it's just so incredible. You can just go to any small school down there and, you know, they got kids that could go play anywhere in the country. So that was a lot of fun. You know, South Florida sports fans, like prep-wise, like track is really big. So, you know, covering track meets was a lot of fun uh, back then. You know, covering high school soccer uh, was a lot of fun. High school baseball and softball were, were was, was a lot of fun. You know, I got to know, uh, obviously, all the high school football coaches down there really well, and that helped me. I mean, that's helped me still throughout my career, you know, knowing so many people like in South Florida, uh, especially places like, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas and Dillard and Plantation and um, down in Miami. Uh, never lose a number. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, no, nothing like a muck bowl on a Friday night to get the to get the blood going. Uh, so 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 you come back to, to Alabama and you, you're back sort of at home. And the, the book that, that you wrote, of course, documenting, I, I guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, documenting essentially Nick Saban's national championship, perfect team from last year. We're learning already right now through six or seven games that that team was pretty special with the offensive weaponry that they had. Just give us a sense of why, you know, through all the craziness of the last two years, why was this the moment that you wanted to get, get started on a project like that? Well, I really felt a duty to 
I, you know, to history to mark this time as a journalist. It's the biggest news event of my life. You know, I'm from the state of Alabama. I love the state of Alabama. And I, I thought that I could definitely give my perspective on things. At the same time, just remembering this special team for what it was, you know, I, I guess if there's a thesis for the book, it would be, you know, what makes the ultimate team? Because Nick Saban said that this was his ultimate team. So the obvious question is, well, what makes the ultimate team? And when I really started, you know, to break that down and, and kind of examine that, there's so many different cultural aspects throughout the history of Alabama that has created this phenomenon that is uh, the University of Alabama football. And so, you know, as a journalist, I like to think like one of my golden rules is like everything is connected. Like I really feel that passionately as a journalist that everything is connected. And so when I went to start my first writing my first book, you know, that was like uh, definitely one of the central themes that I wanted to convey. There's half a dozen major themes throughout the work. Like the idea that everything is connected is definitely a strong one. When you start putting uh, a book like this together, what do you do? What do you do in terms of the work for it? Because you've also got a you've also got a day job that you're doing, covering you know covering college football and covering the, covering this team. Do you compartmentalize stuff and say, okay, I need these pieces here, or I need to I know this, but I need to do more reporting over here. H- how do you kind of how do you kind of organize for something you know as big as a book? Yeah, well, definitely gathering string uh, and reporting things throughout the year played a big role in it. You know, I, I got to tell you, like, it's, it's it was so hard. It was so hard to write the book while being a full-time columnist because it's two different forms of writing. Writing as a columnist, it, it just is not, in a lot of ways, it's harder than writing, you know, narrative prose for a book because you have to form an opinion in a short amount of words and you have to really convince people of your perspective on things. So, and I have to tell you, I was so like, I've always wanted to write a book and I always thought that I kind of had the chops to do it, but when it came down to it, I was so frightened. Okay. Like I was just so scared of failure. Um, I can't, like I was almost overwhelmed by this fear of failure and because the I had a short window to do it and I didn't want to like sacrifice the quality of the work. I was so dedicated to just putting all of my mind, body and soul into the project that, you know, I was petrified of failure. I mean, I knew I could, I could get through a manuscript, but I didn't, but I wanted it to be like, I wanted it to be what I wanted it to be, you know? So uh, once I have to tell you, I mean, obviously my career as a writer and I've been a professional writer for 20 years, uh, gave me the skills to do it. But really when it came down to it, like the gut check moment and the discipline to do, to write this book in the window that I wrote it, it came down to when I was 17 years old. So I kind of have a bizarre life, you know, I mean, all, a lot of writers do. I was an industrial painter, very young. Uh, you know, Birmingham is a steel town, and my dad was an industrial painter. And 
I had a kid uh, when I was a junior in high school. So my dad, um, I just started working with my dad as a painter. All right. And so he he bid a, this big contract on the Nissan factory in Tennessee. I, do you guys know where that is? Oh, yeah. Yep. This is, yeah, this is starting to sound a lot like Jason Isbell wrote outfit for you is what it's starting to sound like. <laughs> Not too far from where you guys are. So, you know, it's like the major like Nissan dra- drivetrain uh, factory. Uh, it's like in the mountains or the foothills, I guess, of the Appalachian Mountains over there. And so it, I'm talking about a huge factory. OK, so. The job was to uh, to paint all the steel for the factory, and I was a senior in high school. So I would go to school at Shades Valley High School in Birmingham, Alabama, and then on a Friday night, I would drive through the night into Tennessee uh, with my spray equipment and, and wake and be at the job site when the sun came up and the dew, you know, dried off the steel, and then I would. Uh, spray the steel all day Saturday until the sun went down and then spray all day Sunday. And then I would drive home for school on Monday morning, my senior year. And so I did that for 10 months. And, um, you know, that really taught me the strength, I guess, and the discipline that I used that I really tapped into when I wrote this book. And I wrote the book and essentially five weeks. And so it it was like a hellish schedule. Pretty much as soon as Alabama lost in the Sweet 16, I like the next morning, I really started writing the manuscript. And I would I would wake up at 1.30 a.m. and I would write until 7.30 a.m. And then I would take a nap until 9.30 a.m. And then I would write until nine or 9.30 at night with like only one, like I took a, a walk, like a power walk where I was confined. I was on Lake Martin and, uh, you know, it's really hilly there. So I would take a walk around noon or whatever and come back and then I would finish writing. And then I would outline till like from like 9.30 to 10.30 for the next day. And I did it every single day. I never, I didn't take any days off. I just did that for like five straight weeks. So uh, I, and once I got going, I really got going, you know, and I turned in like over 90,000 words and yeah, I'm really proud of the book. You know, it just really started to flow out of me. And, you know, it was kind of like, so I had this huge glass window, like, uh, this huge glass, you know, floor to ceiling glass doors where I was working. And so with my index cards that I outlined the entire book, I, I eventually had like, 500 cards, like everything connecting, like taped to the wall, you know, kind of like, I mean, people who walked by where I was, like, probably thought there was an insane person that was living there at the time, you know. It's it's the homeland wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so like, like I said, like I had every like major theme, like literary theme or, or motif, like listed out and it was really complicated. And but I I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was so much fun. And like about a third of the way through, I was like, I'm actually really good at this and I love doing it, you know? So um, that really just kind of helped me along in the process. You know, I I wouldn't have been able to do it without like my family and uh, friends, obviously who were supporting me. So 
you know, I'm like eternally grateful to them. I'd love, I'd love to know how much cooperation Nick Saban gave you, but I'll ask you that in just a second. Um, if you go to the, if you go to the website, we want, we want bamabook.com. One of the quotes, and you just mentioned you wanted it to be what you wanted it to be, right? Is what you said. And the quote on the, on the website says, it's not just a story about a great college football team. This is also Joe Goodman's love song to the state of Alabama, its flaws, its charms, and its wonders. Um, that I believe is from the Washington Post. And what is it that you wanted it to be? Because it's clearly more than just a story about a football team. Yeah, it's it's more than it's more than just a story about a football team. It's a board, it's a story about the state of Alabama and how, you know, this unique state with its unique history really kind of is all wrapped up into the University of Alabama football team now and and how like I said how everything is connected and I mean it's so weird when you write a book and then you have to talk about it like (laughs) it's like I don't want to talk too much about the specific because I want people to go read it and form their own ideas and opinions you know so yeah I haven't really mastered that uh yet but like you said, it's it's more than a sports book. <laughs> why, why do you, how about this? Why why do you love the state of Alabama as much as you do? Uh, well, to begin with, I was born in Mobile and I was raised in Birmingham. So, <laughs> I mean, just I, I'm an Alabamian, and the the unique struggle, uh, I guess, of the state of Alabama it is is what I love about it, and the resiliency of the people, and and just you know, just the good people. I mean, that's what you have to love about it. And I I know that there's, I I mean, obviously I go into this at length in the book, there's the history of the state, which the state still hasn't come to terms with uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And, but at the same time, you know, there are so many people here who love the state uh, and, and love everything about it, not in spite of that, but, but still, I guess. What did spending a, a decade outside the state teach you about being an Alabamian? I mean, I, I did a similar thing. I, I mean, I, I spent like, I, I left Tennessee for like 20 years and then came back. And it, it, it was a, it, it taught me, it taught me a lot about being, about growing up here and, and, and why I like, why I love being here. Did Florida feel like exile or was that, uh, you know, just an experience? No, I love Miami. I love Florida. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've always kind of had this perspective as a journalist that you're just a citizen of the world, you know, but definitely I think there's, and it's specifically for people in the South who leave and come back. I think there's, there's, you know, something about, about, I, I guess being away and then coming back and then appreciating it, you know, from a different perspective and I guess the right perspective, you know, at least in, I feel like in my case, you know, I don't know. And, but, and going to and going to Miami for ten years is definitely leaving the South. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it's not. A di- it's a different world. Yeah, even just Gainesville and Miami are a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, this is Gainesville. All right, like Gainesville's the is the cutoff of the South. Yeah, I would say like that's where it, that's where the South ends. But you know, you go to a football game at uh, at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, and the the kiosks the beverage things where they sell like lemonade and sweet tea you know in the on in the concourse it says genuine sweet tea like so i mean there would be no there's no qualifiers for that in alabama like you don't have to like go to 
any stadium and be like, I, I know, I want the real sweet tea, okay? Like, <laughs> so that's, yeah, Gainesville is right there on the we need to qualify genuine sweet tea, you know, border. <laughs> you know, you keep going south, and then they're like, what the hell is sweet tea? Until you get to, like, then you go, I guess you go past Key Largo, you know? And then it, then it starts to turn into the south a little bit more again. <laughs> Lamestream Sports is a podcast that is brought to you by Jaspers. It's still brought to you by Jaspers. Just glad you didn't yell it because every time you yell it, nobody can actually hear the name of the company we're supposed to be promoting, (laughs) which is Jaspers, which is the next evolution of a sports bar on West End in Nashville. That you should go try and apparently a great place to pregame a show at the ryman now you oh yeah yeah you you caught and what well, we both caught uh multiple shows in this latest isbel run at the ryman but on last saturday night you took your daughter to jaspers and apparently had a hell of a time and win major dad of the year mm. sort of nomination points for teaching her to play shuffleboard, <laughs> that is just fan. I saw I saw the pictures. That's fantastic. Uh, she might have actually been teaching me how to do it. It was uh, <laughs> it was one of the prouder moments I've ever had in my life because shuffleboard is absolutely my favorite. My wife loves it too, as far as bar games go. And uh-huh. and Jasper's has like the little cool bar area with like books and lots of cool games and stuff. And they've got a giant Connect Four board, like one of those life size like giant Connect Four. She played that for like a minute or two, and then we started playing shuffleboard, and she was like all in on the shuffleboard at one point she she like there's two what are they pucks what are they called pucks what are they called whatever they discs discs whatever there's two of them down there on the board one of mine and one of hers and she looks at me and she goes he goes she goes i'm gonna go right between that one and that one and then like slides it right down the the middle right between the two discs or pucks or what have you it spins she picks up a point and and like looks back at me with this like big shit-eating grin on her face and i was just like i mean called her shot I, I was like, you literally just did what you told me you were gonna do at a game you learned five minutes ago, and I was like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be the water here at Jasper's. It's just, it's, <laughs> got, it's gotta be the burgers and the food here at well, Jasper's. Well, so, what was the daughter's uh, meal meal of choice here? Well, she is a burgers and fries girl. Like, just don't get in her way. What do you want for your birthday, kiddo? I'm five years old. I want burgers and fries, Dad. And I was thinking about like having to wade into downtown to get to the Ryman with her. And there was just 0% chance. I was not going to go eat with her on a Saturday night at Jasper's because, and there's lots of you out there listening who are parents. I, I thought about going to the Ryman with my daughter and I thought, where can we go eat before? Where could I park for free? Where could I avoid the chaos of, bill's mafia or whatever was happening i don't know <laughs> fifth and broadway oh wait that's pure chaos don't yes, do that yes and i'm just going like no this girl wants a high quality burger and fries i'm i i'm the dad i don't want to pay for parking i want something easy and and get this she's like i also would like to watch the tennessee alabama game and the predators game wow so we walk into jasper's we eat burgers and fries we watch the predators lose up by a lot to Winnipeg. We watch a close game for Tennessee because we left before it got ugly. 
She she learned how to play shuffleboard. This is why you go to Jasper's. This is 100% fantastic parenting on your part. Well done, sir. Oh, I'm sure I'll screw it up at some point. <laughs> you, have, very, you, have, you, have, you have many years to screw this up. But right now, you may be ahead. <laughs> we're taping this on the thursday i've probably already screwed it up since you've heard this <laughs> on friday morning uh but go to jasper's the parking is free it is unbelievably convenient and the food is genuinely very good and uh good enough for a, if it's good enough for my five-year-old daughter who is very high standards in burgers it, it damn sure is good enough for you so go to jasper's go to great. jasper's folks yeah go, just go So you, you write in the process of writing the book, obviously you did it in a very short period of time. Uh, how much did you want from those inside the program? How much did you get from those inside the program? Because we've got a Heisman trophy wide receiver. You've got the greatest coach of all time. You've got all these first round draft picks. Like you've got all these really important characters in this story. How did you go about addressing either having access or not having access to all of those, those, those characters? Well, to begin with, like, you know, from the very beginning, Alabama was like, Nick Saban's not going to cooperate with you on the book. Like, they, he doesn't, you know, he's not going to talk to you. Forget it, you know. So, and I knew that going in, which is fine. And I've been doing this long enough to, to know, and, and any, any journalist or writer does, is that, you know, you're not going to get the best stuff from that primary source anyway, when it, when it comes to the truth of what, of what you're trying to convey. So, uh, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people involved with Alabama football and, you know, they were gracious enough to, you know, kind of give me inside access to what was going on without me, you know, having to go through Alabama, like formerly or Nick Saban or, or whatever. So, yeah, just doing my reporting and to the people who helped me out. I mean, they were, I, I can't thank them enough. So, <laughs> you know, along those lines, access to college athletes has, has really changed here over the last few years, particularly at a bigger program like Alabama. And then you layer in COVID and, and access issues uh, in, just sort of in general. How do you get the, how do you get the flavor of the locker room and of the, and of, and of the athletes sort of in this kind of era. Yeah. It's so hard. They don't want you to have that flavor. Like they, they don't, they don't, you know, they, they want no flavor at all. You know, so you're not going to get anything from zoom. Like that's to begin with, you're not, you're not getting, I get no, no, like very little value ever you know, comes from Zoom, like nothing at all. I mean, especially for what I do now, like, so, you know, it, it's all just like talking to people on background, you know, for me, but, you know, even before the pandemic and everything, like you, you talk to any, any editor, you know, and, the, and they're going to tell their reporters, your best stories aren't going to come from inside the press room. I hope you know that, you know, <laughs> like, don't sit around and just like talk shit with all the beat writers, you know, like, <laughs> that's not where you're going to get your stories anyway. So it's always been that way, you know? Yeah. It's like anything, I guess the, the more, the more you hustle with, with this now, I guess, I guess the better chance you have to stand out um, or, or write from a unique perspective, but yeah, being a B writer right now in the SEC, man, that's hard. Like that's hard. 
if you think like you're going to get anything of value from zoom because i mean it's just you're just not and they you know they know that so speaking of zoom (laughs) i'm I'm teeing you up all right okay uh so I I have a follow-up question about being an op-ed opinion writer in a state, in the state that you've already described, you know, uh, and we, we live in one very similarly to to you and having opinions that are very polarizing and try to lay out to everybody what's going on with, with Brian Harson, the head coach at Auburn. Of course he had COVID tested positive right in the middle of like one of the most critical parts of his entire preseason camp, first camp ever as the coach. Uh, There's now this, you know, mandate for the university, uh, try to describe what you see from Brian Harson's behavior based around his communication, his interactions with the media. What What, what is it that Brian Harson is doing and trying to accomplish right now? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I wish you would just tell the truth. Like, no, I don't know. Like, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. I mean, is he, I mean, is he trying to go full Rolovich here? I mean, what's, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. God, I hope not. I mean, I hope not for Auburn's sake. I mean, they spent so much money buying out Malzahn. I can't, I mean, I'm just praying that this guy's been vaccinated and he just like doesn't, for some reason, doesn't want to just say, I I don't know, okay? <laughs> I can't wrap my head around the idea that a first-year coach would leave Boise State to go to Auburn for like the chance of a lifetime and then like just throw all that away because – he's not going to get this vaccine that's been, you know, at this point, I mean, we don't need to go into vaccines, obviously, but the vaccines are fine. Like, I, I don't know. So anyway, just what happened the other day was Auburn University has this mandate now that all employees have to have the vaccine, just like Washington State did. And so it's still out question whether or not he's had a vaccine. So obviously he was going to be asked about whether he's had the vaccine now that Auburn is mandating uh, all employees to have the vaccine and the deadline is December 8th. So uh, it was an obvious question that he was going to be asked on the Zoom call. And I made it clear that I was going to ask those questions, you know, anyway. And that, uh, and that this kind of speaks to the problem with the Zoom in another way, you know, like it's hard to glean anything out of Zoom these days. But at the same, not just that, you know, they, the people, the, the sports information directors who are disinformation directors in the SEC, I'm sorry, they are. Um, <laughs> I mean, I like them. I know I like them personally, but they had, that's their job. So, you know, anyway, they, like they have the control now not to like push the button and let you ask a question, which is ridiculous, you know? And then if you ask a question, then you immediately get shut down and you can't ask a follow-up question like any interviewer understands that like you ask a question to set up another question because like that's on the follow-up is when you're going to get the better answer so uh you know all of that is just a facade and bullshit at this point to me in my opinion yesterday was worse because i put my you know and this is just stupid nonsense but they make you like uh put your you want to ask a question, you got to put it in the chat, you know, in the Zoom. And so I was the first person on the queue, all right? The first person, question. And, like, then everybody was, like, question, question, question. They never, like, they didn't, 
they didn't call me. And, um, you know, anyway, I mean, they gave me a reason for that. I'm not going to go into it, uh, but whatever. So anyway, yeah, they can control who asks questions, which is uh, not journalism, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I, and I recommend everybody going to read the column as well. It's up there on AL.com, um, which is sort of what you've explained, sort of ha- having to speculate onto all these reasons and putting all these sort of motivations into some other guy's head that you don't, you don't know about. I, I do want to ask you about the, the role of the coach, because I get a lot of pushback on, on, on the social media platforms, which is probably my first mistake, but I, I get a lot of qu- like, well, why does he have to answer for us? Or why does this person have to, it can be his personal choice. And my first response is, well, your salary is paid by the st- the people of Alabama, and you're the highest paid employee, number two, at least I should say, <laughs> in, in the state of Alabama. And and you have a sort of different rules for different fools. So, so what is sort of your view of a, a coach, his desire to maybe have a stand or a belief versus keeping it private versus having to say something and answer questions to a large, large fan base that pours money into an athletic department in a lot of different ways. What, what is sort of your personal opinion of what that role should entail? Well, he should have been promoting vaccines from the beginning, just like Nick Saban was, just like Kirby Smart was. He's more, I'm sorry, but you, you become the football coach uh, of Auburn University in Alabama. You're a public, major public figure, and what you do beyond the field matters. I mean, everyone knows this. You know, listen, the people who hire coaches, like, they get, you got to check the box on all these, all this stuff, you know, they know that going in. So for him, to me, in my opinion, for him to not promote the vaccine from the beginning was a huge misstep on his part and a a disservice to the state of Alabama, because uh, as everyone knows, this state is like dead last in vaccination rate. Okay. And people needlessly you know, died, especially during the Delta strain. I mean, people were needlessly dying. And I mean, my wife works at the VA and with COVID patients. All right. Like, so she's, I mean, I've been dealing, our family has been in just immersed in this for like so long now. And, you know, to see like veterans dying who don't need to be dying, it's like sad as shit. So that's my opinion on it. He needs to like, be the leader that Alabama needs him to be when it comes to promoting vaccines. Like Nick Saban did PSAs, Bo Nix then like after Harson made it clear he wasn't going to like promote vaccination, Bo Nix did it. Uh, some other Auburn players did it. Uh, that is that is just like his job as a as a as a public figure being bigger than football. Now just football, like you know. It's all about recruiting. Like college football is all about recruiting. Like, and does he want to get recruits or not? Like, <laughs> like the deadline is December eighth for the mandate, and um, December fifteenth is the early signing period for college football. So, you know, is he gonna? What's he telling recruits? I mean, is he just gonna be like, I don't know? <laughs> it just makes no sense to me. None of it makes any sense. Yeah. It it seems to me as an opinion columnist in Alabama right now, you're in a really unique position because Alabama, like Tennessee, has one of the lowest vaccination rates in in the country. It's sports that's kind of pushing this to the forefront here. How do you how do you reach an audience or do you do you feel like you need to reach an audience that's unvaccinated 
right now when when positions have kind of polarized around this? Yeah, definitely. I try, you know, like in the column today, I made a point to mention, like, if you don't take anything else from this column, just understand that in the state of Alabama, schools require proof of immunization, like for all diseases, <laughs> like you got to go, you don't want to go to preschool, like you got to have proof of immunization for stuff. You want to go to kindergarten? Same thing. You want to go to high school? Same thing. You want to go to college in Alabama? You have to have proof of immunization. This is not any different than that. They're just making this into political bullshit so they can win votes. I mean, that's the only difference now. So anyway, <laughs> whether or not people want to listen to that or not, I don't know. But I, I, Well, I think what's interesting is, I mean, you're, you know, personally, I agree with you. And I think you wrote about it eloquently, which is that th this isn't really a discussion in real life. It's just these these politicians that want to make it a discussion that's fabricated and fake. But people don't want to be preached at anymore because they've been preached at for a long time about this stuff. And so trying to sort of thread that needle of like, hey, I care about you. I'm from Alabama. I'm one of you. And I care about my state, which is what we do in Tennessee. It's it's a it's a really tiny needle to thread, man. It's it's a hard thing to do, and you just gotta hope people at some point listen and keep fighting the good fight, man. <laughs> that's all you can do, I guess, right? We are all in this together, okay? I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, like I, and like I said earlier, everything is connected. I mean, if an invading force like into like Alabama or Georgia or California. Like, clearly, everyone in the United States would get together, I would think, and, like, <laughs> try to beat back the people who were invading the country. Like, so for me, like, I, I don't understand why people can't just have that mentality uh, that, you know, we're all this together and this is for the common good of the country. But, you know. Well, go buy the book. November 9th, we want Bama. <laughs> we want BamaBook.com is the website. Uh, it, it truly is. And I'm assuming you cover, there you go. I'm assuming you cover a lot of this in the book that the amount of sacrifice those players went through to accomplish what they accomplished was extraordinary. Uh, it's not just about football. It's about the state of Alabama and your love for your state. So thank you for giving us so much of your time. We do appreciate it. Um, and, and go sell some books, man. Go sell some books. It's hard. All right. Thanks guys. That was Joseph Goodman of AL.com. And again, the book coming out, We Want Bama, comes out November 9th. So go pre-order it. Uh, it is his love story, Steve, to the state of Alabama. He is a he's a fascinating dude with a fascinating life, even before becoming a writer. And I just think his his prose is excellent. And I really enjoy his work. And I, I do not like Alabama football. I, I do not. But I will probably read this book. So um, I'm with you on both of those counts. I, whenever you hear that somebody is from AL.com, don't you always hear it in the, uh, in, in like the, the voice of a caller to find bomb. <laughs> it's just Phyllis. It, yeah. It's it, now, now Goodman writes for that AL.com now, don't he Paul? <laughs> uh, I would imagine that's how Auburn fans are probably talking about him right now. <laughs> probably. So uh, I imagine they are not, particularly happy with him right now. Um, one of the things I found really interesting about Goodman, uh, you know, the process on a book like this, it's such a big topic in the sense of they are the biggest thing in college football and access is, is, go is going to be limited. He knew from the very beginning that 
he was not going to have Saban's participation, help, whatever else. It that was just never going to be in the cards. And, and you heard him. I mean, I mean, he he thinks that that actually helped them. I, I think that most. I think a lot of writers kind of take that tack because they because they know they they know they're not going to get X person, and, and so they they go in with that mindset of okay, I have to work extra hard all the way around this subject in order to kind of be able to tell the whole picture and it does give you a very different book i don't know if it gives you a better book or not i mean we'll never know because you know saban never saban <laughs> never participates but or or the star players which of which there were many exactly but but i do think it gives you an interesting book uh and and i think that's all you can really hope for i i think what i what i'm learning through multiple conversations with writers doing you know, writing in book form, whether it was Andrew Marinus or Jordan Kahn or, or, or Joseph, it's when you're trying to learn the truth, you don't want to necessarily go directly to the subject because you'll get a, a, a biased view or tinted view of some sort. And generally you, you, you kind of need to find the outsiders looking in to sort of get the truer, more accurate picture of what you're trying to write about. I, that's interesting on a football team where the inner dynamics during a pandemic of what the kids had to go through is such an important part of the story and how much of that are you able to tell uh, will be fascinating to, to figure out when the book comes out. So uh, again, he's a, he's a fat, just again, I use the word fascinating, but he's a, he's an interesting guy. He sees things in an interesting way and has experienced things in an interesting way. And I bet you that book is damn good. Uh, and the site again is, uh, I believe it's, we want but you can pre-order it anywhere right now. Uh, we want Bama is the name of the book. And again, it's a, it's about a whole lot more than just a undefeated football team during a pandemic. It's about an entire state. And uh, you heard him explain the connectivity between everything and, and why he wanted to write it. So go check it out. Uh, good dude. Good writer. Good book. Go check it out. Uh, all right. N no recommendations today on the show, Steve, uh, because I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into some of these ratings. Uh, and we'll start with the college football ratings. I sort of compiled the top 10 most watched college football games in Nashville. We're about the halfway point of the season. So I thought we'd bring this up. And because Tennessee, Alabama was just this Saturday on a cable network at night, the highest rated college football game in Nashville for 2021. It pulled a 16.3 that beat Alabama losing to Texas A&M in a much closer game on a network television. Were you surprised at that 16.3 number? Uh, no, because, because Tennessee is, Tennessee is good enough to give its fans hope right now. And so that, that <laughs> is enough, that, that, is, that is just enough. I mean, and for, for a half or maybe even into the third quarter, that was, uh, you know, that, that was a, it, that, that hope was a powerful drug. Uh, the fourth quarter, however, reverted to form. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not that surprised by it. I mean, Tennessee Bama is, is one of you know, is one of the historic rivalries for Tennessee fans uh, for this area. If it is at all competitive, it is going to be a big number. Uh, and I, I think what that what that shows me is that Tennessee that, that there are enough Tennessee fans that are interested in this team again. You know, it was really funny. We had Pat Ryan on the on the show here a few weeks ago, and he said, "Oh, they're never going to sell Nalen out again." And then the following weekend, they <laughs> sold Nalen out. Uh, for the uh, for the shit show that was the Ole Miss game, you know this number right here, I think is that this number, this number and others like it should be as as heartening to you know people in the Tennessee athletic department as anything else, as an yeah. indicator of 
you know, as a metric to look at for, for their, for their progress. Just imagine if that Tennessee team was, and again, their record wasn't bad, but let's say they're five and zero or five and one and they're ranked number 11. Again, I'm not saying dominant. I'm not saying national championship. Right, good. Right. I'm just saying pretty good. And, and imagine the, the hype going into that game. Cause there was not a lot of, a lot of hype going into that game with, with the potential injuries and, and stuff. So, uh, again, I think what's fascinating about what Nashville watches, which aside from NFL football, which we'll get to in a second, is, is just there's different levers in, within the SEC that can be moved that that achieve a, a higher number. Tennessee, Alabama are the two biggest fan bases, in my opinion, if I had to guess, in the city of Nashville. The oldest rivalries, you know, and a close game. I think that's why it ends up number one. Now, if you look at the the other games. Bama, Texas A&M on CBS. Okay, you get a network there instead of a cable TV, cable channel, and you get Bama losing, so that's why it's number one. Kentucky, Georgia wasn't a particularly close game. That's number three, 15.3. But, but, going, were, in, but going into it, a lot of right, hype. Right, two 6-0 teams. Bama, Florida was a 13.9, which was an extremely close game. Interestingly, Bama got out to a big lead, and then Florida kind of crept back, so people probably went back to that game after tuning out originally. Ole Miss, Bama number five, uh, 11.5. So, so far it's Bama (laughs) here. Uh, Number six, Tennessee Ole Miss, 11.1, which was late at night and on a cable channel. Tennessee, Florida, which wasn't particularly close, also on a cable channel, was not particularly close in the fourth quarter, 10.6. Pittsburgh and Tennessee was a 10.0. And then Auburn and Penn State, 8.8. So I think to your point about Tennessee administrators and sort of the, the, the fans coming back to this because Nashville is really not, I, I don't know. What would you call it? I mean, I still think it's a Tennessee market volunteers. So there's a lot, there's a lot more of other stuff here than there used to be. So it's funny. We looked at when I was at the scene uh, a few years ago and the, the scene and the, and the national post sports departments were looking at a, a bunch of different, a bunch of different audience indicators. And one thing kind of kind of stuck out. Uh, we probably should ask David Beauclair about this a few years ago because he's one, he's the one who uh, had found the stat. I think originally, Nashville outside of Atlanta behind is behind Atlanta as the number two as the number two city for SEC alumni fan bases. Uh, and, and you have a lot of you have a lot of non Vanderbilt uh, alumni here in town. You have a lot of Tennessee alumni. You have you have a ton of Auburn and Alabama and Georgia and Kentucky fans, uh, fans who just live here. And, and I'm, you know, it does not surprise me, uh, to see that, you know, just in general, the sec putting up numbers like this, there is like an internal ring inside the sec, right? It's all, it's Ole Miss, Mississippi state, Alabama, Auburn, Kentucky, Georgia. Like it doesn't necessarily go to A&M or Arkansas or South Carolina as much, but there's like an internal ring, um, and if you look at just national games, if you look at Clemson versus Ohio State in the playoff, Nashville's always going to be probably behind what, like Atlanta, Birmingham, and maybe Charlotte or something like that. Just, you know, they're always going to be the three or four markets that are most watching that. I just thought it was interesting about halfway through to see so much Tennessee on there. And it's because those games are close. And that's, yes. that's, that's how fast you can come back into relevancy if you're just playing close games. Uh, of course, Alabama's still at the top of the list there with all of those games um, in the NFL Titans Seahawks is still the number one most watched Titans game of the season. It was the largest rated September Titans game in 10 years. That was a 29.4. Number two was Bill's Titans from last Monday night. 
two, I guess two Monday nights ago, 29.3, which tied with the Jets loss as a 29.3, both of which were ahead of the dominating performance over the Chiefs on Sunday, which was a 28.2. I was surprised that the, that the Chiefs game did not pull a higher number than the Jets game. Uh, the I can't explain that Titans Jets number. I would love to. I, it was, I it was l- close game. I, I mean, time. I mean, it was a close game over time. I mean, with with Titans fans wringing their you know wringing their hands the entire game. I I, I guess that makes more people tune tune in. <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, the the Bills game outdrawing the Chiefs game does not surprise me at all because that's the power of primetime slot on Monday night uh, and 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 a national and. A, you know, kind of the national hype. And, you know, I, I think, I think Nashville was, was very sort of aware because Bill's fans came oh into town early that weekend. And they were, if you were downtown uh, at all that weekend, and, and I was downtown for one, for, for a Ryman show on that Friday night and Bill's fans were out. You know how dumb we were, you know how dumb we were. And I'll just blame me. I don't want to put my wife lump, lump her in with my dumbness here. We were kind of like, getting ready for the Sunday night show at the is at is both the Ryman. And we were like, now the game's tomorrow night. It's on Monday. So there's no Titans game. I don't think there's that, that much going on. So we get down there and it's like Zach Brown concert yeah. <laughs> at Bridgestone arena and Bill's mafia is everywhere. It, it, They're everywhere. everywhere. And um, it was really funny though. Um, because which is, that, which is not a surprise by the way, like I, that was the other was, thing. The other thing is that that chiefs Titans game was a 12 o'clock start. And so there's, there's, there's a there's a limit on that. I mean that uh, like a twelve o'clock start is almost never going to be the top of a okay. Uh, uh, never going to be the top of uh, of a ratings pile. It may be really high. There may be a ton of people watching. There may be a lot of interest, but it, it's also where you have the most other games to watch. Uh, so you, you lose you lose some of the some of the uh, the the adjacent fans uh, or the 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 non kind of hardcore Titans people. It was really fun on Sunday night down there uh, to see there were a lot of sad Chiefs fans just wandering around. <laughs> I, I want to I, I want to give credit. I think this was Travis Haney, uh, former writer all over the place, ESPN everywhere. Um, I want to say he said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing a tweet about how we need a, a sad cam at, at like a six a.m. sad cam at at at, at the airport after yeah. all these after all yeah. these teams because there's. You know, they beat the Packers on a, they beat the breaks off the Packers on a Sunday. Well, we need to see what the airport looks like on Monday morning. That's exactly I think, right. I think that was Travis Haney. I bet you the sad cam on Tuesday morning after Bill's games and then Monday and after the Chiefs game. Uh, by the way, Cardinals uh, Titans was number five on the list, 24.9. Titans Jaguars, a 24.1 was number six. And the, the game they're going to repeat this weekend, Colts Titans was the lowest rated game of the year so far as a, as a 24. So, I don't know what else you make of any of that. Uh, you know, the Cardinals game was a blowout. The Jaguars game was kind of ugly. The Colts game was actually fairly close, but not particularly pretty. So I, I don't know. Well, the Bills Titans game is like as aesthetically pleasing as you're going to get out of a football game. Like that's just, Oh yeah. Got all, it's got all the things. Um, the, the interesting thing to me too, is that, you know, the, the worst, the, the, the worst Titans game is still bigger than, I mean, it's still 50% bigger than any college football game. And, and I and I in a place that values college football as much as this place does, I, I found that really sort of fascinating. 
It's about so twenty four again. Each rating point is about one hundred and ten thousand homes. So you're talking about maybe it goes from a twenty four down to a sixteen point three. You're talking about a hundred thousand homes. Yeah, more watched the 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 lowest rated Titans game versus the highest rated college game. It it complete it completely addresses the size of the NFL. And so and so now you know why. Now you know why, for instance, Channel Two is all in on you know Titans Extra. Or, or what? What are the, what? Whatever the Vrabel show on Tuesday nights, and then they and they have another thing, and then one of the other. I think seventeen has a has a Titan show as well. Everybody wants a piece of that because that fan base right now is big and active and watching everything. Yep. Yep. No question about it. So uh, I just thought we'd we'd take a look at sort of the. I know we're not officially we're a little past halfway in college, and we're a little shy of halfway in the NFL. But I thought it would be a good time to to bring all that data together and take a look at it just because we, again, we had the biggest highest rated college football game in the market over the weekend. And shockingly it was Alabama and Tennessee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, there you have it. Uh, also go, go pre-order the book. Of course, Joseph Goodman, we want Bama. If you're a Bama fan, if you're just a fan of, of, you know, college football, I think you should read it. I think you should check it out. He does a great job. He's a brilliant writer. So go check out the book. We want Bama. Steve, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Scavendish or on Instagram at Scavendish if you like dog pictures. Or perhaps bellied up to the bar at Jasper's with a nice, tall, cool Saison and a burger without lettuce and maybe some sweet potato fries and some collipoppers. Sure. Did I get your you order right? You can find me there. I think I got your order right. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> You're allowed to make my order. That's great. Just leave <laughs> off the lettuce. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so weird. You don't like lettuce on your burger you can follow me at Braden gall at 440 media on instagram of course uh as well special thanks to joseph goodman special thanks to jaspers go to jaspers the food is great the parking is free we've told you this a million times so go to jaspers uh thank you guys all for listening please rate review and subscribe for steve cavendish my name is Braden gall this has been lamestream sports have a great weekend right here on the 440 sports network